Welcome to The Edge of Forever. As always, I'm Dan Toland, and with me is Michael Sims. How are you today? I'm doing okay today. Yeah. Excellent. What about you? Excellent. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> Acceptably fine. Acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> this will do. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. I do want to say, um, if you want to change your Twitter algorithm... <laughs> uh just mention that you ship something different than what the majority of fans <laughs> ship because um my timeline has been filled with um a lot of you know the spock kirk or spurk ships and i'm like you know what that's great i'm glad that people love that but i totally ship spock and mccoy um and I, I put two tweets out about that, and my entire Twitter feed changed to Spock McCoy fans. <laughs> and, like, the, the, Kirk, the Kirk Spock fans sort of just disappeared. Because Twitter's like, oh, he wants to hear about these two, not those two. <laughs> <laughs> so just say you like a different ship, and your entire Twitter algorithm just changes overnight, you know. <laughs> Well, I'm given to understand you prefer your slash fiction just a little angrier. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Have some of this. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, hey. <laughs> yeah, is Mir Spork is Mir Spock choking Dr. McCoy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but uh yeah, I I definitely discovered that and that was interesting. So excellent. <laughs> Making Twitter work for you. I know, right? <laughs> How did this happen? A total surprise. Apparently, a member of one of the factions didn't like the idea of peace. I don't understand what you're trying to say, Counselor. Reva, go slowly. Slowly. Can you write it out? I am so sorry that your friends were killed. I'm sorry. I, I don't know what you are trying to tell me. We have to find some way to communicate with him. Data, he knows some kind of gestural language. Find out which one and learn it. Aye, sir. Counselor, take him to sickbay. Maybe Pulaski can help. Listen to me. You are not alone. Do you understand? We are all in this together now. So first up today is Loud as a Whisper. And this one uh, starts out where we find out that there is um, 
there are these two warring factions um, on a planet. I didn't quite check the, get the planet name. It doesn't really matter. But they've been feuding for so long that they've basically made each other being close to endangered species is pretty much what the episode says. So mm-hmm. some right-minded people go, oh, yeah, maybe we should start seeking peace because we are going to like totally wipe each other out. And then what was the point of any of this? So the Enterprise has been dispatched to pick up um, this um, a, a mediator. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, a diplomat? I'm trying to think. Uh, I think mediator. mediator or something. I think yeah, the... they're they're dispatched to or negotiator. Negotiator. That's it. They're they're dispatched to pick up this negotiator by the name of Riva, mm-hmm. and um, because they both sides have decided, hey, yeah, he'll help us bring peace. He's he, this guy helped negotiate the peace treaty between the Klingons and the Federation. We find out. So if he could do that, then that's how good he is. So when the Enterprise shows up at whatever planet he's on, um. Let's see. Uh, um, I got Spock in the brain. I almost said Spock. Um, uh, not Kirk. What's his name? Picard. Jesus. Picard beams down. Uh, Troy beams down. <laughs> Worf and I don't I, the, the away team truly doesn't really matter. But they beam down and uh, they see Reva and they start talking to him and he doesn't respond. And then suddenly behind him appears three other people, two guys and a lady. And it turns out that Riva is actually deaf. And the three other people are his, as he calls them, his chorus. And throughout their lifetime together, um, they have developed a way of communicating. And each one of them, of the, each members of the chorus, represent a side of his uh, personality and whatnot. And so each one of them speak, you know, here's wisdom, here's love, here's compassion or whatever they are. And um, so they, they're able to communicate for him. Um, I'm a little unclear. They're not psychic, really. They just know what he wants. Right. Or was there a psychic thing going on? I don't fucking know. I know. Right. They don't quite explain (laughs) it. Yeah. No, I think they, I think there is a telepathic uh, contingent to what they're doing. Yeah. Like, like they're not just like speaking off the cuff. Like they are, in fact, communicating for him. Yeah. Okay. So, but I mean, it's basically just like you know, whatever. We don't care. Just we're talking because he can't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so they they all go back up. Oh no 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 no! Before they go back up to the Enterprise, Reva walks up to Troy and he's like, "Hey, girl, what's going on?" And Troy is like, uh, "I'm actually working right now." This is wholly inappropriate. Can we not? No, she doesn't say that because, oh, why would a woman have that much agency in 1980, whatever? But she does look suitably creeped out often when he's hitting on her. But maybe not totally. We'll get to that. Um, But anyways, yeah, they beam up to the Enterprise. And, you know, they're going, you know, they're heading towards the planet. Uh, Reva and Troy start to form some sort of relationship. They wind up going on a, they have like a little dinner date together. Nothing really comes out of it. They, there's no like a verbal shag count or anything like that. But when Reva, his chorus, and an away team of Riker and Worf beam down to the planet to meet the two warring um, races, uh, one member of one of the races decides he actually doesn't want peace and he goes to shoot Riva and his chorus. Riker, I believe it is, is able to get Riva out of the way, but the entire chorus is fucking disintegrated. Very mm. gory. Forgot how gory that actually was. Um, 
And so when they get back to the ship, Riva is distraught. I mean, these people who have communicated for him for his entire life are now gone. And he can still communicate because he does have sign language, but there's not that rapport. You know, you can very coldly say what he is wanting to say through sign language, but there's not the emotion that those people brought to it for him. So he's feeling very lost and empty, and he feels like he can't complete this mission. Well, one thing leads to another. Data winds up learning sign language to communicate with Riva, um, and he's like, look, I that doesn't matter. I don't care. I want to go home. Take me out of here. And Picard's like, um, you do know if we take you home, these people are going to destroy each other, right? And he's like, I don't care. I've just lost everything that means anything to me. I want to go home. So off screen, Picard tells Troy, look, we got to finish this diplomatic mission. I'm tax tasking you with doing this. So she goes to tell Riva and he's like, the fuck, how, how are you going to do this? And she's like, well, I don't have your skill, but somebody has got to try dude. Cause you're being a big pissy pants here, you know? And through, you know, one thing leads to another and Troy says something and Riva realizes that if he teaches the two warring sex how to communicate with sign language, they'll come up with something that they share, you know, a new way to communicate. And that will bring them together and hopefully heal whatever wounds have existed for the decades, if not longer, that they have been uh, warring. And so Riva uh, beams down. With some of the, I think Riker again, Worf again. I think Deanna and Data might be there as well. And he says, you know what? It's okay if you leave me here. I'm going to do everything I can to bring peace to these people. And uh, the Enterprise crew beams away and he is left on the planet. And we never really find out, at least in canon, if he was able to bring peace. But the assumption is that it is hopeful, but it will take a very, very long time. So what were you thinking of Loud as a Whisper? I think that this episode had its heart in the right place. I think that it is... Again, it felt very old school yeah, Trek yeah. to me in that it was kind of trying to capital T teach us something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's not super exciting, but it's doing... It sets out to do something, and I think it does that thing that sets out to do, even if it's not super entertaining. What about you? Yeah, what I liked about this one was if you remove the Star Trek elements of this one, meaning just the Enterprise and the crew and all that, you've Mm -hmm. still got a sci-fi story here that you could put in any anywhere else, really. I mean... The idea of one of the greatest negotiators of all time just happening to be deaf and he relies on a chorus to speak for him and then they are killed or they die in some some form or another. He doesn't have access to them and he now has to bring peace to these warring people. That's like a really cool like old school sci-fi idea. I could mm-hmm. totally see that being like in some like fifties pulp sci-fi magazine or something, right? And just without yeah. this, without the star, just set it on Mars or Venus. I don't fucking care, you're right, you know. Right. Like, and I like that. I like seeing this this thing where you really don't need Star Trek for this sh- this idea to exist. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I do like the idea that Riva is so egotistical, he doesn't even want to listen to the briefings. He's like, who right. cares? They're feuding over land or money or food. And he's like, but it doesn't even matter. That doesn't even matter because they've been fighting for so long. They don't even remember what they're fighting just to fight now. You know, so he's yeah. he's right, but he's got an ego. And by the end, he's deeply humbled. It took a great tragedy, mm-hmm. but he's really humbled. So I liked that aspect of it, too. But there's and not that every episode of Star Trek needs to be exciting. There's no yeah. excitement to it outside of the moment where the chorus is slaughtered. Every cliffhanger, including the opening stingers, just all like, okay, we're on the, pl-. like they literally beam down to the planet. Nobody's there. And then mm-hmm. we go into the opening credits and then every commercial cliffhanger, there's no hook to bring you back after the commercial. Yeah. Break. That was a weird <laughs> choice. I mean, this is a very low key again, up until the point where the chorus gets disintegrated. It's a very low key, low action, low stakes uh, episode. You know, it isn't until Reva loses everything that you start to go, oh, okay, this is what's going on. It's all about him this whole time. But, right. yeah, so, like, I, I can, I really appreciate where it was coming from, what they were doing. I deeply appreciate the fact that the actor who plays Reva is actually deaf himself. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. he really, he really is a deaf actor. So, I, I appreciate mm-hmm. the fact that they, they got a deaf man to play this role. But it's not the most... You know, yeah, you'll put it on and watch it because it's not objectively terrible or anything. But mm-hmm. do you go, hey, I'm going to watch Loud as a Whisper today? Unless you're yeah, I think that I if you're know. kind of like, if you're doing a rewatch, you don't necessarily skip it. Yeah. But you don't like actively choose to watch this episode mm-hmm. just all on its own. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you're watching TV and it's on, you don't change the channel mm-hmm. necessarily. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I guess the actor actually came to the show and said, hey, here's an idea for an episode. Oh. Uh, I guess his wife is like a big fan. So, oh. um, you know, I've got this idea for, you know, thing about a deaf media. And I guess they originally wrote it with the idea that they would teach him to talk. Aye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. That was that was his reaction. Mm-hmm. So they they fixed that. Um. Yeah, I mean it's it's very earnest. Mm-hmm. You know, it wants to present its issue. It is it's an issue episode. Yeah. You know, um, which is fine, and it wants to present its issue, and it's not really all that concerned with telling a story, mm-hmm. or at least it's not concerned with telling a, tar- a Star Trek story, right? You know, to the you know, to as you pointed out, to the extent that the cold open cliffhanger was just okay. I guess we're gonna wait. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're here. Uh-huh. <laughs> we'll just wait for the others to show up. Yeah. You know, like this is screenwriting one hundred and one. Right. And they 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 don't really manage to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but this you know the story of overcoming the very sudden issue that Riva finds himself with, you know, it's, it's an interesting idea that I don't think that in dramatic terms, they carried off super well. Right. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I, I did, (laughs) 
I did find myself going, you know, Jean Luc, I, you know, he's deaf. I don't think he can hear you when you raise your voice either. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh my God, what is he doing? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, he doesn't hear, you know, loud, slow talking either. <laughs> That was weird, right? Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. But otherwise, I'm honestly not sure that I've got a whole lot more to say about this episode. To be honest with you, I've got a couple of smaller things. Yeah, let's hear them. Um, let's hear them. I did like the moment where Picard has just met them, that being mm-hmm. Riva and the chorus, and he addresses the chorus, mm-hmm. and one of the chorus members yells. Mm-hmm. as Riva, and he's like, you will address me. And Picard's like, whoa, like you see the diplomat in Picard. And he's mm-hmm. like, you know what? You're right. I breached protocol. And then when they, and he apologizes, and apologies accepted. And then when he gets up to the bridge with Riva and his chorus, he quickly tells everybody, address Riva as if you're talking to him. Consider everybody else a translator or whatever he says. Yeah. And he quickly yeah. clues everybody in and we get to, we don't have to have further mis- mistakes of people addressing the chorus when they should be addressing the person that's they're there to actually talk to, you know? Yeah. Like I know that you kind of need to do that for the sake of the episode. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm like, you know, I'm not a diplomat and I know that you don't speak to the translator. Right. Yeah, you know, like you know, I you know, I know that they shouldn't have had to have Picard learn that, right? But you know, but I get it, you know, for the for the sake of, of letting the audience know what's going on, that's that's an important thing to show. But I did like when Riva, like they come up to the bridge, and this is a side I wasn't even going to mention this, but when Riva comes up to the bridge with the chorus, and Riva and the the libido member of the chorus leave mm-hmm. with Troy, the other two are chilling, and Picard's like. What are we supposed to do with you now? And they're just like, yeah, we're not needed in times like this. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I know it's about to happen. You know? Yeah, yeah like, that was <laughs> too. And they're like, you know, I speak for the intellect. I speak for the emotion. I speak for his penis. Right? <laughs> 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 yeah. And like, ultimately, that relationship with Troy goes nowhere. And I really think. Right. It's pretty damn creepy. Like, most of the time, she seems to kind of maybe get into it at one point. Like, not full on, like, oh, my God, love you eyes, right? But mm-hmm. the entire time, I'm just, like, sitting there watching, like, she's working. Leave mm-hmm. her alone. Yeah, there's definitely a, who is this lovely creature, <laughs> my lady? <laughs> Vibe going on with him right. while... Uh... <laughs> while he's dealing with her and it's just oh my god (laughs) oh star trek you're going there again i know (laughs) just wait till next episode kids Um, (laughs) and then when uh, the other thing i wanted to mention is um when they're on the planet for the first time and um one of the chorus before they're slaughtered says no matter what happens don't react even if you're provoked. And Riker looks over over his shoulder at Worf and mm-hmm. <laughs> Worf just gives him this like double take like what, what fuck you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and 
I am a grown ass man. I can handle myself. And it isn't played in that way that Riker, like later on, where Riker and Worf really become like blood brothers, right? And he understands yeah. Klingons, and he to- he's like totally gets Worf, and he teases him all the time. It's not quite right. that. It really is the commanding officer making sure that the Klingon security guy <laughs> doesn't pull the phaser. But yeah. I, like with like knowing what comes of this afterwards, there's a part of me that's like, he was teasing him a little. And just, it's really yeah. the way Michael Dorns just like looks at him like, yes. And he's like, wait, why'd you look at me? Like, like, <laughs> like why me? Because <laughs> you're you. <laughs> right. So like, I mean, this this episode has its moments, but it's so just like very low key overall, I think. Yeah. You know? It is. Yeah. It is, yeah. If you wish to apologize, I am prepared to listen. expect me to apologize to you you were a bit rude to me i'd make you feel better if you said you were sorry data something has obviously gone wrong with your secretary that is ridiculous i'm as healthy as a regalian ox i wish i could believe that i would accompany you to sickbay but i doubt if that would do us any good sickbay are you ill captain getting there i'm going to have engineering run a full physical on you i am sure that will not be necessary captain i am fully capable of running a circuit check on myself it will immediately determine any abnormalities do it that's an order just as i expected i am fine could not be better for the first time since i've known you I don't believe you. So, second up today is the Schizoid Man. In this one, the Enterprise has gotten a signal from basically just this planet that's called Graves Graves World. I think is what it's called, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, Graves World or Graves Planet, something like that, where only two people live, and that's Doctor. Uh, I believe his name was Ira Graves who's Mm -hmm. this major, major genius when it comes to cybernetics. And also his assistant, was it Kareen? Mm -hmm. And it turns out that Dr. Graves is, well, gravely ill. And so they're trying, the Enterprise is trying to get to the planet as fast as they can to save his life because losing a man of his intellect would really, it would be a loss for society. So they're trying to get there as fast as they can, but as they're on their way, they get another distress call from um, some other, I forget what the ship does, it doesn't really matter, but it's a ship that's in serious peril, and if the Enterprise doesn't um, do something, I think something like 2,000 people will die. And even Dr. Pulaski is like, look, we gotta go help these other people, I mean, the needs of the mini, right? And mm-hmm. so it's quickly decided, look, we'll send, we're going to send a small away team down to Dr. Graves's planet um, to help him. And we on the Enterprise are going to go help these this other ship that's in, in distress. So what they do is they warp over to Dr. Graves' planet, stop for like half a second, and they beam down Troy, Data, Worf, and Dr. Salar, we're going to come back to her in a little bit. Uh, for those of you that don't know, she is a Vulcan doctor. Um, and then the Enterprise instantly warps back out um, and goes um, to deal with whatever was going on with that other ship. 
When they get down there, they meet Kareen, and it turns out she is the one who sent the signal, the, the, the not the distress signal, but the, hey, can you come here? The doctor is sick message. We kind of know that. We saw her before on the view screen. And it turns out Dr. Graves wouldn't have made this kind of message because he hates people overall, uh, and he especially hates doctors. And But he's like, well, whatever, you're here. And uh, instantly he starts creeping on um, every woman on the planet. And uh, that's part of his uh, his undoing, ultimately. <laughs> so, um, well, Dr. Salar scans him while uh, Dr. Graves is talking to Data. And um, it we find out that Graves has some sort of disease, I don't know, made-up disease, and it's in its final stages, and he'll really be dead within days, if not hours. So um, eventually we find out that um, he, Graves, has a crush or feelings. It's more than a crush on Kareem, but the age difference is so vast. Neither of them, because she sort of has some little feelings for him too. Neither of them ever acted on it. It would just be sort of weird. She's really only on the planet because she was the child of his former assistants, I think, and then they died. So she's just kind of stuck there with them. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, we find out that at least according to Graves, because, you know, is he telling the truth or not? He actually, he's claiming that he inspired Dr. Um, Soon. Soon? Soon. Yeah, mm-hmm. Data's creator. So he starts insisting that Data calls him Grandpa because, sure. And Data starts doing that. And we find out that Graves is actually working on the melding, not only not melding, but the transference of human psyches into androids. And that's what he does. He transfers himself into Data. And uh, it's obvious to us from the offset that that's what's going on here, <laughs> but not so much to the crew because they didn't, They like I think Troy knew that's what he was working on and people on the way team knew that's what he was working on, but it doesn't really become a topic for discussion until once they're all back on the ship and that includes Graves' body that then gets jettisoned out into space where Data starts acting really weird. Like at first he's just a little off, but then, like, at, when he's eulogizing Dr. Graves or Grandpa, he just starts going, like, completely overboard with it. Mm-hmm. And at first, people are they're trying to make excuses for Data because the episode starts with him trying on a beard in front of Troy <laughs> and Jordy. And, you know, so they're like, look, he does like to experiment. Maybe he's just trying something new and... He doesn't understand how rude he's being to his captain or how creepy he's being to Kareem. Like, but then they're like, no, Dr. Graves transferred his psyche into Data's body. Troy figures this out. All credit to the to them giving Troy something to do. She's the one that figures that out um, by giving him uh, some sort of psych test and then remembering that that's what Graves was had mentioned he was working on. And then it's really just a matter of convincing Graves to let go of data and let himself die and um graves winds up doing that he puts his uh consciousness into the ship's computer we will never hear of this again as far as i know um and data is back to normal that's really this one right pretty much yeah yeah so what were you thinking of the schizoid man i'm honestly i'm having a hard time with it to be honest with Uh you because i think that it definitely is fun it's definitely got its fun moments, but it's also so 
weird and absurd that it doesn't work. Right. <laughs> you know, like, and it's very difficult for me to actually put those two things together. You know, I think overall it's fun, but it's not something that I'm like clambering to watch again, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I think I need to talk this one out. What about you? Yeah, I got nothing. So I don't know how we're going to talk this okay. one out. All right. Fair. I mean, it's, I, I, I like the idea of someone trying to transfer their consciousness into data, especially after the last episode. This is one other thing I want to mention about Lotto's Whisper, just pardon me real quick, is there's mm-hmm. a moment where Jordy and um what's his name reva share a moment with jory being blind and reva being deaf them actually talking about how what would be perceived as a disability doesn't actually hamper them in any way shape or form you know they're able to right. he's be able to be able to be the best mediator of all time jordy's able to be one of the best engineers of all time right so i thought that was right. cool and just before that happens when reva meets data he accepts data instantly not as a machine but as a living individual so right. following upon that moment of data having that, it is interesting seeing someone else just seeing data as a vessel into which to right. put his own consciousness when his body dies, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's an interesting idea that he sees data just as a vehicle for his consciousness. And he wasn't even sure that he would be able to feel anything. How, like, is he part data, part him? Like, he didn't know. He just took the punt because he had to. You know, he mm-hmm. was dying and he had no, like, he stumbled into data. This wasn't a trap or a trick or anything to get data there. He really mm-hmm. lucked out, you know? Yeah, um, right. So I, th- I think that's interesting. But my main takeaway is whenever these people do these things, they put their consciousness into someone else's, mm-hmm. they're never fucking subtle. <laughs> no. And I understand there's only so much time in the TV show. You're not going to have them be data for the rest of the season or anything like that i accept that but there's a part of me that's like you know if you were just subtle you could have got to a star base and just ran away like right you know? instead he's instantly like at the at 10 forward with kareen and he's like hey girl you know who i am right and then like he's hitting on like everybody and he's just mouthing off to to, to captain picard because he can't stand authority figures and yeah my main takeaway is just be cool just like what's what's that thing from Parks and Rec where it's like don't be suspicious, don't be suspicious, yeah, basically. You know? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's what's going on here. He just can't help himself, and it's just like oh, you know. So I don't know. I don't feel like I really learned anything about the characters in this one mm-hmm. because it's not data. It's not data having emotions and being kind of an asshole like his brother. It's someone in Data's body, you know. Right. So I, I just, I just feel like it's about the characters who show up and then we never hear from again, and we don't really learn anything about the people that are actually on the ship. I guess that was a long-winded way to say, after saying a long-winded thing after saying I didn't have too much to say about it, but I, I still mm-hmm. feel kind of, eh, I don't know what to say about it, even after all that. Yeah, like, okay, so the character of. Ira Graves. Morgan Shepard, Morgan Shepard plays him. And he's a trip. Mm-hmm. He is like, I legitimately found him to be quite fun mm-hmm. in the, as this character. We only get him for about 10 minutes before he dies. But um, he is quite, quite amusing. I thought um, in this, in this role. And then I don't know who data, like who Brent Spiner is playing 
for the rest of this episode, <laughs> but it's not the same guy. Mm-hmm. Like, he's basically playing lore. 100% he's playing lore. Yeah, that's basically all he's doing is he's playing lore. Mm. If his acting had been, like, like, the way that he was playing Graves in any way, shape, or form was reminiscent to me of the way that Shepard was playing him, I think I probably would have liked this episode a lot more. Mm-hmm. But we are just kind of getting evil Brent Spiner. Mm-hmm. Like the generic evil Brent Spiner character that he plays from time to time. Right. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Which is upsetting to me because Spiner is generally pretty good at that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, like there was nothing reminiscent of the, way, of the character that we met at the top of the episode in mm-hmm. what Spiner was doing yeah. for the rest of the episode. And I really think that that hurt it. Now, yeah. the eulogy legitimately made me laugh out loud. I know, right? That is a legitimately <laughs> funny few minutes of television. Uh-huh. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, while <laughs> Shepard is sitting there in his disco Silver LeMay space onesie. <laughs> oh, my God. What the fuck was that? <laughs> And here's, you know, Spiner just completely over the top. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to know him was to love him, and to love him was to know him. <laughs> that was fantastic. Yeah. I loved that. Mm-hmm. Every moment of that, I could have, I was just eating that up with a spoon. Yeah. Um, But it was all kind of downhill from there. Yeah. You know, like, it's a really fun idea. I mean, it's certainly not the most original idea. Mm-hmm. But it's fun, and they could have done a lot with it. But ultimately, I I think that the episode is let down by, and I hate saying this, I think it's let down by the way that Spino was playing him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it hurts me to say that, but I, that's I think what 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 the deal is here. Yeah, when we first meet Doctor Graves, and he's like, I hate people, and then he's, and then he comments on the attractiveness of uh, Doctor uh, Salar. And then he starts to get horny with Troy. Troy was there, right? Yeah, Troy. Mm-hmm. Um, someone, I forget who it was. It might have been Troy. was like, I thought you said you don't like people. And he's like, women aren't people. Like, 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 like. And then when Data, when, when Brent Spiner is, is doing, supposed to be doing the same character, he's trying to, he's doing a different kind of smarmy asshole. You know, it's, it's like, and that's where I see it for me is, is, is the difference in how he acts around and the way it's almost even the way he's written around women. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you can, based on the way he was trying to seduce Deanna and, <laughs> and the doctor, like you understand how he's always been. But then when Spiner gets his hands on it, it's this whole other kind of form of seduction. And that sounds weird to say, but I don't know. It's like th- that right there was sort of the breaking point for me. It truly felt like two separate characters, mm-hmm. you know, so which I know I'm just repeating what you said there, but that's that's where I kind of noticed it, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I mean, mm, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I'm sorry. Please, please go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. It was a whole other thing I was going to. No, go I mean, on. it's not like you were actually going to be continuing from there and I, I was going to move on to something else. So please. Yeah, I was I was all I was going to say is I wasn't going to continue on. I was going to bring up the whistle. Oh yeah, yeah. I I appreciated that that only became a clue for the audience and not anybody on the crew. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, he so for those of you who haven't seen it, Dr. um Graves whistles um if I only 
had a heart, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Data's like, oh, what is that? I've never heard that song. And he tells him what it is. Then later on, once he's transferred his consciousness into Data's body, and, you know, if you haven't picked it up at this point that that's what happened, Data, in quotes, starts whistling that. And the audience is going, oh, no, Data said he mm-hmm. didn't know that. And he's acting weird. It must be Dr. Graves. But we don't have a scene where, like, Wesley happened to be on the way team for whatever reason, caught the doctor whistling it. Cause this was what would have been a soul Wesley thing. Oh yeah. And then they would have heard Wesley, Wesley would have heard data whistling. I'm like data said he didn't know that song. Mm-hmm. How does he know how to whistle? Captain, captain, captain. I think that like it doesn't become, it's only a plot point for us and mm-hmm. not the, it's not a clue for the crew. And I, I kind of liked that. <laughs> it felt like they, uh, we're resisting some impulses there, knowing the way they've done things and they will do things, you know? Yeah. Like that would have been, again, you know, your bog standard Wesley knows something. The rest of the crew doesn't. Nobody listens to him. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah you're absolutely right. Um, it was, that was, that was a nice touch mm-hmm. because that really was kind of like our clue to what had been, to what was going on. I mean, other than the fact that it's so fucking obvious what happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, but the thing I was going to point out um, was, and again, this has nothing to do with what we've been talking about so far, is that for me, the most notable thing about this episode is this is the first time we see Susie Blackson in Star Trek. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Who, of course, goes on to just kind of be on all the shows mm-hmm. always. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I mean, I'm sorry, just not. I don't believe we see Doctor Salar come back. We hear her paged multiple times. Right. It's a joke after this. Dr. Okay. Solar, come to sickbay. So you hear her name floated around, but we never see her as this character ever again. And I know that Peter David used her as a character in the new, was it the new frontier? Oh, okay. I believe that she's a character in that. Um, But I mean, it's, 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 it's what's, what's it? Kalar? Kalar. Yeah. Kalar. Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah. yeah she comes <laughs> back like later this season. She comes back. Mm-hmm. It's this season. It's like episode twenty. I, I just happened to look it up because um, yeah. I was I was looking up. I wanted to, I was looking up spellings of names and I saw that. And yeah, episode twenty of this season, she will reappear as Kalar, who uh, only has two appearances, but is like one of the coolest characters in all of Star Trek to me mm-hmm. because she puts Worf in his place. Yes, she does. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think does she return as a Q? She's yep. She's a Q in Voyager. Yeah, yeah. And she's in and she's, I think she does an episode of Enterprise too. Ah, okay. Yeah, I I I love her character. It's just a way. Mm-hmm. There's a presence about her. Like mm-hmm. she's got here. She's got that kind of. I'm not knocking her, but she's got that generic Vulcan thing going on that really mm-hmm. only like uh, Leonard Nimoy brought to the role. And I, I'm forgetting the actor who played Tuvok. Um, Tim Russ. Tim Russ, yeah. Like, he's got a, an essence that he brings to Tuvok, right? But mm-hmm. it, you can only do that when you've been playing... Well, and, um, to Paul, okay. But you, only if you're playing the character for seasons upon seasons can you bring that kind of personality to these kind of bland characters. She There's mm-hmm. something she brings to it, even though it's a bland Vulcan. And then mm-hmm. later on, when she comes back as Kalar, there's just this, like, spirit in her. You know, mm-hmm. that, that I just, this, this almost defiance, like she's mm-hmm. defiant that she's a Klingon, you know, yeah. and this, she just brings this, this power, this energy to her roles. I, I wish mm-hmm. she had more screen time on Star Trek, but whenever she shows up, I'm like, yeah, she's here. Yeah. Cause I mean, she primarily works in comedy and, oh, really? oh yeah. Oh. 
Yeah, she primarily does comedy. Okay. And like she was on like she would like you know, she was in sitcoms and she was like a recurring character on like Mad About You and you know, Everybody Loves Raymond and How I Met Your Mother and like like primarily that's what she does. She does comedy. Mm-hmm. And she brings that to her roles on Star Trek where maybe she's not necessarily being a funny character, but she's mm-hmm. always got like that twinkle. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, even here as Solar. Um, which just works really well. Yeah, she's fantastic. I love her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I wish we got more of her as this character. You know, um, but we don't. And that's fine because we get her as Kalar. You know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know if I really have too much else. No, I will say one other thing. In the beginning, before we leave the planet. There are a couple of shots that are straight out of uh, the original series. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a shot where, like, there's a zoom in on Dr. Graves. And the way it zooms in, like, everything about Graves before mm-hmm. he dies, or actually before they transition to him and Data just sort of talking, there, there's a couple of shots where I'm like, this would feel at home in the original series. So I didn't... I, didn't I was up. expecting to hear the... Da, <laughs> dun, da. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Part of me wanted to look up who directed this to see if they had directed an original series episode, but I'm like, no, it doesn't really matter. It just there's a certain visual language to Star Trek that sometimes carries over to the next generation, especially this early in the show's uh, life. You know, mm-hmm. and that was a moment for me. So yeah. <laughs> I have noticed, Doctor. Call me Grandpa. <coughs> Seems more touching in my final hours. <coughs> I have noticed, Grandpa, that you keep repeating the same notes of a musical phrase I am unfamiliar with. Oh, it's uh, it's an ancient little tune called If I Only Had a Heart. A plaintive lament sung by a mechanical man who longs to be human. It's his only wish. What happens to this man? He finds out he's human after all. Always was. Just worried so much he he never realized it. Hmm. A happy ending. If you'd like to send us an email, you can address it to redshirts at earth2.net. That's redshirts at earth-2.net. Next time on The Edge of Forever, Dan and I will discuss two more episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, those being a natural selection and a matter of honor. For Dan Toland, this is Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to The Edge of Forever.